Hello, I'm Peter Ayers. My guest today on the Stages podcast is arts educator Robin Pascoe. Robin Pascoe has recently retired from his role guiding and nurturing young teachers in the discipline of drama. He recognises that an immersion in art subjects is a crucial experience to equip a child in a vast skill set that will contribute to their humanity for life. Robin has had an extensive career in arts education with the Education Department of Western Australia. He is a past president of Drama Australia and has held positions on the Drama Australia Executive as well as Drama West. In July 2013, he was elected president of IDEA, the International Drama Theatre and Education Association. It is a huge and satisfying role that allows him to observe and guide arts education across a range of cultures. In July 2020, the IDEA 10th World Congress for Drama Theatre and Education will be conducted in Beijing, China. This is an essential conversation that will enlighten, affirm and celebrate the work of the drama teacher. Robin invests his knowledge with passion, statistics and his engaging dry wit. I was delighted to examine the role of the arts with Robin in this absorbing episode of Stages. So this is, this is a nice turn of the tables because, is it 10 years ago now that... It you, is, 10 years ago. Exactly, well, around about then. About then, That yes. you interviewed me for some research that you were doing. I did. And so, how, how did all that go, that research? Okay, that's still sitting there waiting. <laughs> you know, there's some research just, you know, it's time will come. Right. So, so what was the point of that research? What were your research? Okay, the point of the research was to talk about what were the features or the characteristics of really effective arts education in schools. So I was looking at two um, high-flying schools where there is a really effective arts education program and then being able to um, draw from that the points that, that you would look for. You know, if you were... Um, in another school, what are the things that are important about leadership, both at the principal level and at the head of department level? You know, what are the, the sorts of support mechanisms that are in the school? What are the programs? What are the, you know, curriculum? And trying to get a, a really good handle on that. And out of that particular research did come um, two paper presentations that I made in Germany and so on. So it, it hasn't been all lost along the way, but but it, it is actually still sitting there and one day I'll write a book about it. Why is an arts education important to an individual? Right. I know the answer. Yes. I, just, I, I, I will see what, okay. what you say. All right. So um, one of the things about being fully human is being able to look at all of the, the range of experiences that we have. And we know that every culture, every time, every place has had the arts in some form. So therefore you would expect that they would be part of the education system for all young people. So that young people have uh, an entree, uh, an opening into a world which is really important for the whole world. So it's important in terms of um, social development, it's important in terms of cultural development, it's important in terms of personal development. So all of those reasons are why, as a nation, as an educational nation, we have actually made a commitment to the arts as being part of the essential learning for all young people. So that, in a nutshell, is kind of a rationale for what we do. And we're talking visual uh, arts, we're talking yeah. visual arts, dance, drama. Okay, we're, we're talking about the five art subjects identified in the Australian curriculum. So in alphabetical order, dance, drama, media arts, music and visual arts. And of course, then there are combinations of those. So music, theatre, you know, combines both music, theatre, dance. So it, it's a sense of, of why it's all important. And, of course, the whole point is not so much to make every student in schools the next star of a show, but to give them a sense of being able to understand, appreciate, to be able to understand the creative act of making in the arts, but also about 
being good audiences, about responding to them, about having a sense of where they can get a sense of pleasure, enjoyment, satisfaction that will take them through the rest of their lives. And as we know, that can be really important for people. Um, it's important for health, it's important for a sense of well-being, it's important for a sense of having a, a secure place and sense of identity in our society. And heaven knows we need a lot of that in the uncertain times that we live in. It was quoted to me once that in our constitution, it says that it is mandatory that all schools are taught sport and music. Is that right? You have heard that? I Well, there are different ver variations on that. It may not be necessarily in the constitution, but it's certainly in um, the legal education acts in different parts of Australia. Um, and I think that there is actually a widespread recognition about how uh, a rounded education includes the basic things like language, English, mathematics, etc. But that it also includes the arts, health, well-being, um, values, you know, all of those things. So there are, you know, a lot of um, things in that. And while it's not in the Constitution, under the Melbourne Agreement, you know, 2008, there is a, a recognition that there are eight subjects, eight learning areas in the, the curriculum for all young Australians. And one of those is the arts. And of course, uh, every child that, that studies the arts at school is not going to, as you said before, be the next Mel Gibson or Isidore yeah. Duncan or, yeah. or whatever. But, but what skills does it Okay, so teach? there are what are called a whole heap of transferable skills, skills that you take from what you learn in the arts. For, for example, you learn about creativity, imagination, innovation, but you also learn about things like collaboration, cooperation, um, empathy, empathy, yeah. persistence. You know, one of the things that you have to, to develop or that you do develop through working in a production or working on a painting is the fact that you actually need to develop some skills and then to be able to apply those skills and, and then to persist sometimes when things don't go right where you actually have to keep going and go, well, that didn't work, but I'll try this, I'll try that, I'll try something different. And one of the criticisms uh, that's often labelled about young people nowadays is that the, the iPhone generation is that they don't have persistence. If it doesn't work immediately, if they don't get instant gratification, they abandon it. And I think what the arts teaches powerfully in this sort of part of the field is that you need to be a problem solver to be able to persist that you also need to be able to develop an understanding of what are the elements of drama or music or you know the visual arts and more importantly about how to apply them to communicate and to express ideas and to reach an audience I might be a bit biased, but I look back at my school days and it's the school productions, the choirs, the concerts that yes. are still vivid in my memory. Yes. Um, they're significant experiences, aren't they? Uh, they are significant experiences, but they also um, can be life-changing experiences. They can be the ones where you realise who you are personally, how you fit in, how you work with other people. And while, you know... in Certainly in my school days, you know, there was an emphasis upon performance and only performance. Um, you know, there were still important life lessons there. And one of the things that we've come to actually understand is that performance needs to go hand in hand with process, about the development of skills, about the development of knowledge. Um, the journey is often more important sometimes than the end product isn't it absolutely yeah. and uh, you know um, i know that's how often hard particularly for hard-headed people out in the, the wider world to sometimes understand but um, what what students actually remember um, may in fact not be what's in the exam 
but is in fact in their life, you know, what they carry with them for life. And I'm sure that's what you found too. Yeah, very much so. It's a pity, isn't it, that as adults we lose that ability to play. We become more stitched up and embarrassed about Absolutely. all of those joys that we had in childhood. And that's part of the, the, the reason why, if you look at what's in the actual curriculum that we talk about, it's actually about bringing those things back and carrying them forward. Um, I think it's... Um, Robinson, who talks about some research about what happens to children's creativity as they go through school, what they had when they are two years old and five years old and seven years old is slowly eroded by the, the routines of school and that, that most people, you know, forget that. And that's why I think, you know, we want to have arts education for children all of the way through school and also into tertiary education as well and also into life beyond um, beyond school beyond university education you know the capacity for someone to belong to a community choir or to you know go along and watch a performance or you know to belong to their local theatre company that's also part of giving them sense of lifelong enrichment, enjoyment, pleasure. Uh, and yes, there will be some people who do elite courses like the one that you did, but then most people won't. Most people will be good citizens, they'll have a sense of themselves, and they'll have a sense of pleasure and satisfaction, which takes them beyond the humdrum every day. There's a big push on STEM subjects, but it really should be STEAM. It should, yeah. Um, but, you know, that, it, that, that's kind of an argument that we have to win with the hard-headed, um, uh, neoliberal, you know, decision-makers that, that, you know, um, see all education in a very reductive sense. That, you know, basically the, the reason why you learn science or maths is so that you'll get a job where in fact you can learn science and mathematics and you know engineering because it gives you a sense of satisfaction and pleasure and yourself, your sense of self about who you are and who you are in the world. So, you know, I think think there's a bit of a, a bit of a journey. <laughs> you recently retired, congratulations. Thank you. From Murdoch University, yes. where you were in the Faculty of Education? Yeah, yeah. it was in the School of Education. And you were training drama teachers chiefly? Yes. Right? Well, I, I had two parts of my year. The first part of the year, I um, was training secondary drama teachers. In the second part of my year, I was um, working with primary teachers who have to teach all of the arts. And, um, you know, that's the, the nature of being a primary teacher, um, that, that in fact you're responsible for dance, drama, media, music and visual arts. What were the qualities you looked for in students who were applying to do the course? Was it an interview or, or a, uh, an ATAR? Or? Uh, well, um, yes and yes, but, but equally, um, what I based the course upon were, were two, two central metaphors. The first of those was that what you would develop or what you could develop or what you had the potential to develop was a portfolio of activities and knowledge and understandings that are relevant to being a, a, a drama teacher. The second thing was that you would become a member of a community of drama teachers, that you would become a part of a guild of drama educators. And that's why it's really important that we have associations like Drama West, Drama Australia, IDEA, that, that oftentimes you could be the only teacher in a school who was looking after drama, and that can be very lonely, and that what will sustain you, particularly through a lifelong career, is the capacity to be able to reach out to your buddies, to be able to look at what else is there, to be able to listen to a podcast like this one, or to be able to, you know, um, find material. And we do that through human interaction, through being able to work with each other. So 
that again goes back to the notion of collaboration and cooperation, which we find is really important if you're going to be in a choir or if you're going to be in a, you know, a, a, a performance or a production. And therefore, they're, they're key ideas. So what I'm always looking for in those drama education students that I was working with was their capacity to develop those skills, to develop that, those understandings. And similarly, when I talk about the primary teachers that you know I spent all those years working with, were, were the same things. Um, primary teaching can be very much, I go into my classroom, I close the door and I'm on my own. Where what in fact we are now emphasizing more is the notion of working collaboratively, of planning collaboratively, of, you know, I've got skills, you've got skills, we can, you know, team teach, that we can work together. In fact, I was talking with a, a, a young teacher this morning, um, and she was talking about how she's fortunate to be working in a school where co-planning is such a big and important part of what they're doing. Um, and would that that were the, the case in many schools. And, and I have to say that that is one of the, the shifts that is trying to be made in the way that we run our primary schools and probably our secondary schools as well, that we stop working in silos, that we stop thinking in isolation and that we find ways of working collaboratively to strengthen what we do because ultimately what matters what matters most are the students that we work with and that's the job of a teacher is to you know think how am i progressing the learning of each and every student that i'm working with education changes so much doesn't it over each period of time, each decade. Do you think back to those primary classes that would have 30 plus students and one teacher? Yeah. yeah. And sadly, sometimes education doesn't change enough. Yeah. You know, so there, there is a world that needs to change and develop. So what makes a good drama teacher? Um, creativity, imagination, innovation. Um, not being big-headed, you know, knowledge, um, understanding, um, experience, uh, openness, you know, willingness to work together and work collaboratively. Um, and they're quick glib words that I can use quickly. Yeah. But, but equally, when it comes down to it, you've got to know your stuff. You've got to know what the art form is and how it works and the history and all of that stuff. You've actually got to know how students learn. So I kind of have this picture of, you know, um, I sometimes use with my students where I talk about, you know, the, the what we teach and the how we teach. And then the third part of that is the why we do it. Um, oftentimes I'll ask young students, uh, particularly when they're teaching, so why did you do that warm-up and they can't give me an answer they say well it's just a warm-up and you know and I go back and say no you actually have to purposefully um, make a choice I'm using this warm-up and let's say it's about voice because I'm actually going to teach a lesson where we're working on Shakespearean text and we actually need to understand about articulation etc 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 so it's it's coming back to moving beyond the activities to focus on the learning. The activity, any activity that we do in a drama classroom or wherever, is and must be a vehicle for the learning that we want our students to take, the enduring learning, the thing that gets them beyond we've just done this activity to this is something that I can apply later that helps me understand when I go and see a play, when I, um, you know, myself want to write a play or if I'm going to be an actor, if I'm going to be a director, I'm going to be a designer. This is actually something which is useful for me. Um, Liz's uh, uh, former singing teacher used to say that the, the biggest crime of a teacher is to waste kids' time. And 
I reckon that's a pretty important principle that I kind of hold. My aim is not to waste kids' time, not to fill it with endless, repetitive, you know, um, I, I ban the word the games in yes. my, my teaching because kids will always want to do yet another version of... Bang. Um, Yes, or whatever. Zombie tiggy. Yes, and that's fine if there is a learning purpose in doing that activity. But equally, um, we we can see it, you know, walk along uh, around lots of um, classrooms and schools and you'll see that there are time-filling activities, kids doing things, and at the end of it, there's no learning or there's there's yeah um uh, a friend of mine who works in health education talks about um empty calories you know when you eat something that gives you a rush but it doesn't actually sustain you and sometimes what i see happening in some some classrooms some drama classrooms are what i would call empty calories like yes it looks like drama you know tastes like smells like but at the end of it have the kids learnt something so that's me getting on my soapbox i'm sorry no i love your soapbox um the drama classroom the teaching space is also very different to Mm -hmm. all of those other classrooms in a school except perhaps for the pe department who are working in a variety of spaces as well so you know like the dance teacher and the the drama teacher has the open space we build the circle, we create the ensemble, we work together to bring people together. And um, it's interesting how we need to teach students, our, our drama students, how to use those spaces. Um, just as, you know, sitting at a desk doesn't necessarily always produce the learning that's needed. It's interesting because at one of the schools that I was looking at, Um, what they found was that having every class every week in an open space was actually not as productive as having at least one class a week in a formal desk sitting space to, you know, remind students that there are certain aspects of, you know, what they do, which are work in inverted commas. But, But equally, you know, a lot of what we do does rely upon an open space and a capacity to be able to have a sense of self in the space you know an understanding of the proxemics about how we relate to people how we work together and how we stay on a purposeful um, focus and so you know that's all part of what we do are you a Perth boy a West Australian I'm a West Australian born. I was born in Dalwallanew, which is which up is country. Right. I don't know. It's a farming place. My father was a um, uh, worked for West Farmers. So, you know, we moved around to lots of different places. Uh, then we went to, the family moved to uh, South Australia, where he came from. And uh, at the end of my secondary school, I came back to go to university here with my family because the parents had split up by then. And, um, and therefore, I, I'm, I'm a West Australian. I'm a fifth-generation Australian. So Siblings? I have a, a sister. So was there lots of play in your childhood? Uh, there was certainly you're... lots of imagination activity um, Mainly through reading, I um, was from a very early age a member of the local library. I read all of the books in the children's section, you know, I did all of that. But also, um, my mother was a, a member of the CWA, the Country Women's Association. She did craft, we always had projects, we were doing things. You know, if we were not painting something, we were doing that. And I'm also a child of radio and the wireless, so therefore 
I was a, an Argonaut on the ABC Children's Hour, and I was growing up in the country. There was no television, so, you know, a lot of those sorts of things. Five o'clock every afternoon, Monday to Friday, there was something that was challenging or stimulating or working on, you know, what was there. Um, my father had an interest in um, film, filmmaking, photography, um, so... I made four-minute movies from, you know, the age of 10 to 11. Um, the ABC Children's Hour had a project of where there was a collaborative writing of um, books and novels. Um, and I, I have a chapter published in one of those, you know, when I was 12 or 13. So, you know, it's it's a part of, uh, of doing that. But also... Um, you know, there were long hours after school, before five o'clock, you know, where you go out and play in the backyard and play imaginative games, boss my sister around to make sure that, you know, she would do this or that, you know. So, yes, um, I think it is important. I don't imagine that there was any drama education at school, though. No, was it? no? there was none. And there was very little other arts education as well. Um, we would have the, 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 the good sister nun who would thump away on the piano and we would sing choral songs which were terribly out of tune, as the piano was. Did you learn an instrument? No. no? Um, and uh, that was always a great regret of mine because... Um, children around me and my friends were they were learning piano and things but my parents didn't want to do that so we didn't do that um the other thing you know i remember that all of friday afternoons in year seven um, consisted of making a matchstick burnt matchstick tray where you stick burnt matchsticks on to make a patent the whole of the Friday afternoons for a whole year. And it was the most deadening sort of activity that you can possibly imagine. I did learn, however, to be able to, how to burn 12 matches all at once together so that I would have the afternoon's matches. And you can do that in the, in the playground as well. So that just inspires your pyromania, you know. Um, so we can think about is it, what's the character in Cosy that you know is Doug. a pyromaniac? Yes, Doug was about yeah. this cat. Yes, you see, it is. <laughs> no, so school productions or anything? No school plays or um, when I activity play? When I went to secondary school, yeah. and I was a boarder in, in a secondary in a late college, um, there were end of year speech night productions. So as a year eight, I was a sister and a cousin and an aunt in, you know, uh, Pirates of Penzance on, in the Adelaide Town Hall. Um, we had choral singing. We had um, music appreciation classes. Um, and that all petered out. And then in my final year, in year 12, um, a group of others decided that this wasn't good enough, so we formed a drama club and put on productions, which were all extracurricular. So, you know, um, we were in terrible plays that had no skill and, you know, probably pretty dire for the people who had to look at them. But you were having a great time. Yes, yeah. absolutely. What about access to live performance? Okay, um, uh, because I went to school in Adelaide, oh. there was the Adelaide Festival. Oh, right. Okay, which was every two years. And, you know, that's got a, a bit of a history and so on there. Um, at the Adelaide University, there was the Union Theatre, Union Repertory. Mm. Um, Pride of Melbourne Theatre Company. The sort, of, yeah. sort of like yeah. that, yes. Um, and one of the things that, that was our reward for putting on plays during Year 12 was we were taken to see truly memorable production of um, uh, Death of Salesman, you know, um, 
And I was still, you know, all of that time listening to the ABC Radio Children's Hour, which was still on, and remember that they had, a, you know, a section on writing, they had a section on visual arts, they had a section on music every week. So, you know, there were all of those stimulus materials. But having said that, I have to say that it was a pretty arid art scene at, at my particular school. So, you know... Um, part of my life as a reaction against that. <laughs> I grew up, as you know, in a little country town of Victoria. And I think prior to year 10, my only access to live performance was, well, it wasn't live, it was the driving. Yes. Or the circus when it came to town. Yes. Yeah. Had both of those. Right. Yes. Um, you know. Um, and there was also, uh, you know, when I was um, between the ages of 10 and 12, uh, there was a local Scottish dancing, okay, so I was a Scottish dancer, which wasn't the, the most um, easy of things when you're being bullied in the, the playground. But then you had to wear a kilt. You know, a kilt and to, to dance, you know, yes. which is not, was, you know, not in redneck um, Australia, all that <laughs> accepted. So the end of school, I imagine you decide to become a teacher. Yes. Yeah. Why, why did you want to be a teacher? Okay. Um, well, first of all, uh, the first thing was that the first time I did year 12, I actually really bummed out. Okay. You're not a good student. Oh, I was uh, a terrible student. I was a very naughty student. Were you distracted okay. or? I was thoroughly distracted. Bored? Well, bored by school. Um, you know. That's not, fascinating. Not happy. Um and that's why I was interested in drama and film and all of those other things as well. Um, so uh, I really, you know, I think I sat for six subjects and, you know, got, got an A for English and everything else was an F. So I, um, and at that stage, my parents had split up. We were coming back to Perth. Um, I came back here. I did a, a one year, year 12 um, where I, um, at, at that stage, you actually did what was called a leaving and a matriculation. So I did all of that in one year. You know, um, really good subjects because I actually did some work and um, then was accepted into teaching. So um, going back one step about why teaching, um, well, in one way, we all fulfill the unfulfilled dreams of our parents. And my mother had always wanted to be a teacher, which was why I've no doubt she said, oh, you could, that would be quite interesting. So, you know, um, and uh, at that time, University of Western Australia had a really outstanding drama um line that you could follow um, which soon died but you know but at that time on the campus there were five theatres there was the Octagon Theatre uh, which was you know quite famous in the way of thrust, thrust stage you know the Presini March Theatre the Dolphin open air theatres um, and there were also people who were driving drama as, as an art form. So, for example, Dorothy Lilly, you know, was um, on, on the staff of UWA in the English department there. Um, and there are a whole heap of other people who are really interested in, you know, promoting drama. Uh, the New Fortune Theatre, which is a replica of a, a Jacobean theatre, sits in the middle of the, you know, the arts building, um, there were there was the Festival of Perth, okay. Every year there was, you know, productions being brought in. Um, Arnie Nimi was um, working at UWA, and he um, directed productions before going on, of course, to work at Whopper and other places. Um, so th th there was there was actually a lot of opportunity. Um, but I trained as an English teacher, a media teacher, and a drama teacher. And the other yeah, thing... Those were the early days of media. It was the very early days of media. 
The other thing about it was that I was also fortunate in my final year of training, and I was a five-year trained teacher. In my final year of, of, of training, they allowed speech and drama to be a major teaching area. So I was in the first cohort of people who were in that particular cohort. And and that, that actually meant, even though I'd done lots of drama and so on during my the, the, the units that I'd done, but it also actually meant that I could now start to actually think about that as a, a possibility um, of, as a teacher. So, um, and th- that's how, but, I, but when I went out, I taught all of those, those areas and then became more and more involved with um, drama education. Did you stay in the classroom for long? Because you, you soon... Or was it soon? Yeah. You became superintendent and district yeah. manager of curriculum and consultant for the, the yeah. PA curriculum, K-12. Okay, um, I was in the classroom uh, for six years as a teacher. I then became a head of department in a school and and that's quite young to do that. Um and I did that for another uh, six years. And then I had an opportunity to move out of the classroom to run what was called the Performing Arts Services Centre. And the nearest thing I can think of is a little bit like the arts unit in, um, in, the in New South. Yeah. Yeah. But, but basically what that was, was um, providing opportunities for students and teachers in schools to have performance opportunities. So we would run a boardwalk theatre festival, choral festival, a speech festival, you know. So Drama camps, perhaps? Uh, no, we no. didn't. Well, yes, we did. There was also the um, West Australian Youth Theatre Company was run out of there as well. So there were lots of those opportunities. And that reorganisation of the department lasted for three years. Um, and then they closed it which is always the way these things happen. And then I moved into policy, curriculum, etc. And and then I actually moved um, from there to... um, And and that gave me lots of opportunities, like opportunities to go to Drama Australia conferences, to go to um, IDEA, um, you know, to do to have all of those those international and national opportunities as well, and then in uh, two thousand and one, I was um, headhunted by Murdoch University because they didn't have a drama education course at that point um, to write something for them, and then when I wrote a course for them, um, what I in fact did was that they they then said, well, now will you come and teach it? So. That's how I finished up to be in a university, which wasn't what I expected. One of the things about writing that particular course was that I made a really conscious decision that what I was going to do was to talk to teachers about what what were the strengths of their own training and what were the limitations of it. What were the gaps in their knowledge? So I sat down with about 20 different people and, and interviewed them, actually, and said, you know, what did you really like about your training? And of course, remember, we have in, in drama education people who have come in through the back door, as it were, because they've been English teachers and then they've transferred over. There are people who are trained as, you know, specifically in that field. And then there are other people who have no training and are just told, well, you're going to teach this, and then they flounder around. So part of you know what I, I really did, and because I've been cleaning out my office, I have found all of those sorts of things that are there. Was you know what is it that you're getting in a drama teacher education, or not getting, and what do you need? And that's that's why you know how I came to the base. You know what what I've done at Murdoch. You know on there. You talked before about instilling in your students uh, the importance of being part of professional organisations. Uh, you went on to be president of Drama West and Drama Australia, 
and now you're president of IDEA, which is the International Drama Educators Association. Yes. Can you tell us about IDEA? Okay. IDEA... Because you are the grand poobah now. <laughs> and, and that, I was there at the inauguration in Paris, which was in uh, 2013. 13, 13, yes. Okay. So IDEA was an idea um, that sort of emerged at the beginning of the 1990s when there was a recognition that although there are international organisations such as ITI, the International Theatre Institute, IATA, the International Amateur Theatre Association, that while they have an education thread, that they, that they don't give necessarily full attention to the importance of drama education or the links between drama education. So a group of associations like um, what was then NADI, the National Association for Drama and Education, which is subsequently Drama Australia, they put their heads together and kind of came up with this idea of having an international international drama slash theatre and education association and they convened a congress in Porto in Portugal in 1992. It was damned hot, okay, and chaotic. But out of that then emerged idea. The second World Congress of Drama and Education came, it was in Brisbane in 1995. And then uh, Kasumu in Kenya, Bergen in, you know, so it's, it's kind of rolled on in that sense. So how do you go about contacting all of those international organisations and, and knowing they exist? Is there some sort of central role? Well, that's one of the things that that idea is, is formed to do, is to be able to help people come together. And, you know, let's face it, they're, they're in some places, you know, drama takes off, in other places it dies. So, you know, it's a, a, a fluid and uh, interesting picture and so on. But equally, what it is, it's about giving a, an identity for the importance of drama, theatre and education and putting it all together. And by the way, why it has such an unwieldy name is because different cultures and different places, different countries, you know, we use the term drama, the, the French use the term théâtre, you know, and there's no translation for drama. You know, so you know, so there are all of those sorts of um, international differences, and of course, the whole point about idea is to promote and to support and share knowledge, practice, research um, about what's happening in the world. And um, one of the things that I found most interesting in the last three or four years, as well as what's been happening in Europe and what's happened in America and Australia and New Zealand, is that there is an enormous growth in drama education in China. Um, and it's remarkable what's happening there. And of course, when we're talking about the size of population um, and, you know, different places and so on. And that's one of the reasons why we're pursuing having the next World Congress for Drama, Theatre and Education in Beijing in 2020. Um, and the, the whole point is, is to both share practice from around the world with people in China, but also to learn from what's happening there. Because there are some really interesting differences, cultural differences, connections back to Confucian, you know, forms of education, um, you know, that, that is there. At one level, drama, is, drama education is very new, at another level, it goes back centuries, and that's about understanding cultural difference. And of course, that's the other point about it, is that there is no one form of drama education, although some people might want to think that there is only one way of doing it. But, but in fact, there are many different ways of, you know, looking at how drama education works, whether you're working with, you know, um, people in the Amazon or whether you're working with people in schools in the United States or in Australia, you know, 
Are you working with the inner education system? Are you working outside an education system? And the whole point about idea is to recognize diversity, to recognize you know the multiple lenses that we see the world in, and to be able to get a sense of, well, that's interesting. You know, what can we learn from each other? And um, you know, there are there are things that are really like fascinating when you talk about them and sometimes it's to do with language and how things are translated but it's also to do with sensibility and culture so that we in the English tradition in Australia have a uh, an activity called Conscience Alley I don't know if you've come across it at some point called Decision Alley okay but in China, when I was there last, I found that, that the way it's translated in uh, Chinese or Mandarin is it's uh, Echo Valley. <laughs> so it's, it's about, and the, 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 the activity is basically is you, you have a character that has a, a choice that they have to make and you have a, a parallel line of people. And as the character moves oh, yes. along, they whisper suggestions, they whisper suggestions yeah. at them. Yes. And, you know, and as I said, Conscience Alley is a very UK form of it, and we sometimes use that here. Um, sometimes it's Decision Alley, but I just love the fact that, you know, it's Echo. Echo Valley, you know, and it's Valley, not Alley. So, you know, there are all of those things. Is there a structure or a time frame for the Congress that it happens periodically every mm-hmm. four years? or Because the last one was supposed to be Ankara, wasn't it, yes, in Turkey? But due was. to the unrest, that, that yes. had So the, the idea constitution says that there should be a Congress every two, three or four years. I suppose so, it's finding a host city as well. Yes, so it is, it is, there's a whole heap of those sorts of issues. And up until Paris in 2013, it was um, every three years. The, the next um, cab off the rank was uh, Ankara in Turkey for 2016. In 2016, it was postponed for a year because of the unrest. And then it had to unfortunately be cancelled. Interesting that um, Turkey is yet again in the news today. Um, but, and, and that was a, a real disappointment. And as a result, there will now be seven years between congresses. However, we are lining up for 2022 or 23 to be going to uh, Reykjavik in Iceland. And Iceland's really interesting. It's one of the few countries in Europe that has mandated drama education for all students in schools. So there, and they've been on a roll for the last five to seven years. So that would be a really interesting place to go. And that's the whole point is to um, go to get together, to share, to identify, um, you know, common themes, to work on what it is that's there. The theme for um, the Congress that will be in Beijing in 2020 is about um, drama education, constructing humanity about how we actually become human through, you know, what we do. And it will have a focus on um, things like sharing practice, um, research, you know, those sorts of things. It will also look at um, the really interesting work being done about brain research and deep learning. Well, that, that was a focus of Paris too, wasn't it? Brain it was. elasticity. It was. Yeah. And... Um, but there, there's been a lot of really interesting recent work, particularly about drama and education, not just about the arts and education. Um, it will also look at um, drama teacher education, you know, which hasn't been a focus for a, a previous uh, uh, idea congress, something that's dear to my heart, of course, having spent a little bit of time working on it. Might we see uh, one in Australia one day? Is well, there has one? been one in Australia. The Brisbane one, yeah. The Brisbane one. Um, I tried to persuade people in Australia to do another one, but they... But it's a huge job, I guess. It's it? huge. Relying on the it is goodwill of people to sort of... R- relies on the huge um, goodwill. 
And fortunately for um, China, we have a local member of IDEA, we, um, and they are being supported by um, Beijing Foreign Studies University, so, and, and then in turn being, uh, being supported by the government. So, you know, you can't really do those sorts of things on just a, a few volunteers getting together. But um, so there are challenges about bringing people together. But one of the things that why why we persist in this day and age when you could meet everything on a, a, a Zoom meeting is that putting people together in the same space, sharing coffee, sharing meals, sharing lunch, sharing stories is actually That's when a lot of the good work happens. Yeah, yeah. and ultimately. What we do in drama education is relational. It's about how we get on with other people. And I suppose that's one of the things that I've been talking about all throughout this discussion yeah. is that what we rely on are how we work with others. That's what an actor has to learn. That's what a director has to learn, a designer, but also a teacher um, and a student to another student. Now, the national curriculum. Is it ever going to happen, do you think? Well, it depends who you talk to. <laughs> the national curriculum is happening, okay? It's a question of... When? Well, and how? Well, it, it's more of it's happening in different ways in different states. It's, it's a result of our federated constitutional situation where education is the responsibility of states. So, you know, in Western Australia... The decision was made to adopt and adapt the national curriculum, the, the one that was written. Okay, so yes, in theory, we are using the national curriculum. Um, they made a couple of decisions here in Western Australia. For example, rather than being in two-year bands, they wanted it in one-year bands. So therefore, each year there is a definite set of progressions and so on um, however you can only you can write all of the curriculum in the world what matters is what gets implemented in a classroom and that involves teachers and schools and school decision making and that's where every time we, we do these activities. You know, I keep reminding people that this is not the first time we've had a national curriculum. We wrote one between 19, 1992 and 1994. In States, we've had, you know, curriculum documents. You can date them all of the way back, you know. But have we actually achieved effective education for every, every, every child? And... You know what that depends on? Depends on teachers. Okay, so if you're a good teacher and you're in your particular classroom and you inspire the kids and the teacher in the classroom next door might be doing the same or nothing. And then the principal might be doing nothing or inspiring. And, you know, schools getting together and working collaboratively. So... It becomes a whole heap of, you know, um, imponderables. Um, over the last three years, I've been working with um, a researcher called Sean Chapman, who has just successfully completed her PhD on um, the implementation of the, the arts curriculum. And, you know, she talks about um, in her research, which is all published because it's, it's actually quite interesting, um, what she talks about are the, 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 the dissonances between having a curriculum document and implementation. And she talks about how important it is that we actually have an alignment between policy, practice, and values. And if a school, if a group of teachers in a school, because the school doesn't do it, but if a group of teachers in a school actually really value arts education then they will work towards it happening but if it's just time filling or if it's just oh my goodness we're going to do something else as well then it becomes 
you know, what's the least amount that we can actually do? Um, one of the decisions they made in Western Australia, which was, again, different from the national, um, you know, picture, which talked about an entitlement for children in all five of the art forms. In Western Australia, in every semester, children, in every year, children must do one performing arts and one visual arts. And there's a bit of a writer that says, hopefully over the years of primary school, they'll get all of them. But in fact, it would be very easy for a school, it is very easy for a school um, to just say, all right, well, we'll do music and we'll do visual arts because that's what we've done all along the way. Instead of going, no, hang on a moment, you know, where are kids getting some drama? Where are kids getting some dance? Where are kids getting some media arts and so on? Um, so let's stop writing more curriculum. Yeah. We don't need to write any more curriculum. It's all out there. It's there, okay, and it's pretty good. What we need is we need to implement it. And implementation means that every classroom, and every teacher is doing something and hopefully doing something good. You know, you can... You can have something that looks like drama education, but it actually could be diabolical. So again, it's about implementation. And that's the whole theme of, you know, Sean's uh, doctorate. But it, but it's also, you know, an enduring theme about all of the work that I've done in, in teacher education. You know, if we want to actually change things, we actually have to change teaching. It's not good enough to just go, here's another document. We've done that before. We've written document after document, and that hasn't actually had an enduring change. What changes is when something happens inside the head of a, an individual teacher who says, oh, I can do this, or I had better do this, or I will do this, and I will learn how to do this. So, you know, and again, I'm on my soapbox, so I'm sorry about that. But, it, but it, I think it's really important. Um, simply, you cannot mandate an arts education because you publish a document. And that, by the way, is the flaw in the way that state and territory curriculum authorities work and the national ACARA thing works because simply stating this is the syllabus, this is the curriculum, won't change unless this teacher, I have a mythical teacher that I work with my students called Mrs. Rose, and this Mrs. Rose, who's a good teacher, actually says, I'm going to do that. And that's what really counts. You know, when we get all of the Mrs. Roses out there in schools going, okay, I'm taking this seriously. I'm actually going to do something that will be real learning with kids, not just an activity, not just a, oh, what will we do? Oh, it's Father's Day coming up, so let's all paint ties for Father's Day. And, you know, kids splash around a bit of paint and, oh, we've done the arts. Well, you know, have they learnt about the elements of the visual arts? Have they learnt about, you know, design factors and, you know, how important a thing like a tie is in the identity of people in their working lives. You know, so there are the, the things that underlie what the arts mean in our culture, in our society. Unless that's the learning, it's kind of it's just another activity. It's just another time filling. Thank you, Robin. We'll see you in Beijing. Yes, of course. You better be there. No, I have to say you were in Ankara. No, you were oh, on the way to Ankara. On the way to Ankara, yes. Yes, yes, and I was in Paris. And, uh, yes. It's only right that I'll see you in Beijing. Indeed, I'm looking forward to it. All the best. Okay. I'm sure many of us can recognise the valuable contribution to our development via the experience of the arts we had at school, whether that be a school production or choir or line dancing. Many ways indeed to use the arts to acquire essential skills. 
A big shout out to all of the arts teachers working in schools around the country and thank you for all of the dedicated and exciting work you are delivering. Tomorrow I talk with Mrs Pascoe. Liz Pascoe was my singing teacher during my time at drama school. I look forward to catching up with her and examining the process of singing and teaching voice. Liz is a fount of knowledge and information and very engaging. That's next time on Stages. You've perhaps noticed that the episodes are coming thick and fast this month. We're heading towards the final episode of the year on December 22nd and I want to ensure you that we have plenty of stages listening for the summer break. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to my conversation with Robin Pascoe. Catch you next time on Stages.